From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Hey, we hope you are safe from the storms that hit parts of our state yesterday. Today, we'll speak with Cleta Ellington, an actress, television, and movie director who's been part of movies like The Help and Get On Up. And later, we'll speak with therapist and mother Stephanie Brewer Hawthorne, who's opening up about her struggle with postpartum depression and raising awareness about those who deal with it. Hey, you can call us today at 877-MPB-RING to join the conversation or you can email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking, and I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Um, I hope you're okay. I hope you're dry. A lot of people in the state aren't. A lot of flooding that went on, a lot of rough weather last night. If you got water or you were surrounded by water, uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to you. There's been a couple fatalities so far across the state. So it's been a rough, rough evening. You know, we're used to it here in Mississippi. We get bad weather a lot, but last night was rough. And so I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you. Of course, some of our family here at MPB were affected as well by some of the floodwaters. And our thoughts go out to them as well. So, Sharita... Yes. You've had a busy weekend, of course. Yes, I have. Extremely busy. I'm pretty much a zombie at this point. I yeah. mean, you and I me think both. Saturday night, I got probably the most sleep I had had, and I woke up at 12 on Sunday, and I felt really bad because I missed church, and I felt really bad. <laughs> But I did get up and listen to a sermon, so yeah. I went to church online. That counts, right? Yeah, you, you feel just so terrible because you <laughs> finally got enough sleep. Yeah. Yes. I think the good Lord will forgive you on that one. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. Now, your granny on the other hand probably won't. Right. I hope she's not listening because I told her I, I was going to church and I didn't, so she's well, we probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> we all got up late on, on Sunday for one reason. It was prom night the night before. Yes, my oldest son, who looked a lot like Daniel Craig from uh, James Bond, he was really good looking (laughs) at his tux. Uh, And his his girlfriend, who was quite lovely, they went to the first prom together. And uh, I'm very proud to say that his experience with the prom was a lot more positive than mine. So let me ask, because Mm -hmm. when a a young boy comes to pick up a girl from prom, the dad is at the door giving the young man a hard time. Oh, with a shotgun. Yeah, so your wife didn't give the girl a hard time, did she? No, okay, no, okay. my wife would never do anything like that. No, I actually had, it was kind of, we did some pictures over at the house, which meant that all day Saturday I did yard work. Mm. Okay, so I just got finished with a 12-week boot camp, and I'm supposedly in the best shape of my life, and I get out and cut the grass, and I can barely move now because I'm yeah. so sore from it. So the house looks good. Her parents are divorced, but they both came over, mm-hmm. and then we all had, like, you know, food and everything and came over and took the pictures. And, you know, there was no tension whatsoever with, you know, the father, <laughs> with my son, going, okay, I want her home exactly, and he's got out his GPS device. And, by the way, right. I can track her. You know, my son's, like, going, okay, okay. It's I wonder okay. how different proms are now because when we were at proms, we didn't have cell phones. So I imagine they're Snapchatting the prom now. Everybody's taking selfies. And I wonder, are they really enjoying the experience, or are they on those phones the entire time? Well, it's kind of, yeah, I mean, I know, I'm so glad we didn't have cell phones back on ours. Right. 
Although, you know, it'll look good in the tux. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, because no, this way, at least my bad memories, I can make a little bit better in my head. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd have it documented on the Internet forever. No, I, I tell you, it was kind of interesting because when we went to the prom, we were in downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So we like I got in a car and drove for 25 miles, went to an expensive restaurant. I would never let my kid do that now. Right. You know, it was at the high school. So it's like, OK, it was at least close enough and so forth. But it was good. And I tried to get him to cut the grass the next day in the tux. That he rented. What? Now, why would you do that? Because I did that. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I was like so mad I had to pay 45 bucks to rent a tux. Now, this was back in 1986, <laughs> all right? So that was oh, big. Oh, yeah, it's way more than that. You, know, you could buy a car for that. You know, that was a lot of money. So I went out and, you know, was out on my riding lawnmower in my tux cutting the grass. My parents got pictures of that. They thought that was quite funny. Did you hear about the bridge that collapsed in Atlanta? I know you're from Atlanta, so I was wondering, uh, did you follow that story? I got a phone call from my sister saying, hey, guess where I am? And I said, what? And she said, well, there's a flaming bridge right in front of me, and I'm stuck in traffic. So I was driving down the Natchez Trace, and I sent her a picture of the Natchez Trace. So I went, well, this is my commute. So it was bad. No, it's real bad. It's like literally downtown Atlanta had a heart attack. Yeah, and I heard, I read rather, that it was arson. Yes, it was General Sherman. <laughs> yes, he has been. No, it's, it was three apparently homeless guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was three. They weren't all guys. But, um, yeah, they've already arrested them. So it's yeah. pretty amazing. But, okay. That's scary. They said it's going to take months to repair that, that bridge because I, they said 400,000 people travel that bridge on a daily basis. It's basics. incredible because if you, you know anything about Atlanta, there's 400, which comes down, and 85 merged together. And those are probably two. In the 75 are probably the most busy interstates in Atlanta. So you got two of the most busy interstates coming in right at the same point. Right below it is where it happened. Mm-hmm. The thing that gets me is why did they store flammable stuff underneath the bridge? Well, they said it's not uncommon for them to do that. Well, I know it's not uncommon, but, I mean, it literally... It is risky. I, I mean, no, it couldn't have been worse. So that was tough. Uh, big basketball game last night. To say the least. Very, very proud of the <laughs> Mississippi State women's basketball team. I know it came. I know the fairy tale came up a little bit short, but, boy, mm-hmm. that game Friday was incredible. Well, I saw some people debating on Facebook this morning about uh, the coach's decision to bench uh, the young lady who made the, the oh, yeah. shot to get them to that point. And there was a real debate about it. But I didn't get to see the game completely. Completely, but I heard that she was kind of off her game, and so yeah. they put in the backup point guard. But, yeah. you know, some folks are like, wait, was this sabotage? Why would he take that player out of the game? Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched a little bit of it, of course. And, you know, from what I understood, she was not playing her A game. on I don't think she just scored 41 points and then won the game-winning, you know, mm-hmm. basket the, the next day or the next game. Um, but I guess the coach felt like he had to go who had a hot hand. Yeah. I mean, he used to play. You know how that works. I mean, well, still, just the, the oh, accomplishment of beating UConn is just outstanding. I think they had won 111 games straight. 111 games. And it was supposed to be a shoe-in. And then Mississippi State girls come and say, hey, you know, don't underestimate us. But that's just the spirit when you get into, like, NCAA tournament. That's the spirit. It happens with the NBA playoffs. The underdog comes alive every time. And I told my sons, I said, this is why you play the game. Mm-hmm. Right here, because you never know how it's going to turn out. And I, I tell you, I'm so incredibly proud of them, not only because they had a great game and, and they played for a championship, which was huge for Mississippi State, but it was huge for the state of Mississippi as well. Because right. you know what? We've had a lot of bad news lately. we got a really tough budget coming out of the, out of the state capitol. There's going to be a lot of people affected by that. So it was kind of neat to have something we could cheer for on a national stage. Yeah, it was definitely exciting. Now, who are you going for? Oh, yeah, I did see Dak reacting. Dak, <laughs> Dak he was super excited. He really was. He was awesome. <laughs> now, who are you pulling for tonight? you think North Carolina is going to pull it off? I'm pulling for North Carolina, and I'll tell you why. My mentor is 87 years old. He still draws cartoon every day up in Knoxville. Um, he still goes to work. He's a great guy. He's the world's biggest North Carolina fan. Mm. And I want to see him happy. 
Yeah. So I'm pulling for North Carolina, and that's tough. And I mean, because I mean, Gonzaga, you know, they have some some strong big men. They I do. Mean, yeah, North Carolina is going to have to, you know, do what they're supposed to do. So yeah. I guess I'm pulling for North Carolina. I'm a bandwagoner. I mean, I'm an, an NBA fan, but I've just started following this uh, college basketball, especially now since I'm going to pay attention uh, to Mississippi State. Uh, Victoria Vivians, that young lady is amazing. I remember her when she played in high school, and uh, just to see her out there playing college ball at the same level of competitiveness is just awesome. I just incredible as well. Uh, top movies this week: The Boss Baby came in first at forty nine million. Beauty and the Beast slipped to second at forty seven point five million. It's still going strong. Ghost in the Shell nineteen million. I think it probably underperformed a little bit. Power Rangers fourteen point five. Can't believe they remade Power Rangers. That, stuff like that makes me old. They're not allowed to do stuff from when I was a kid and redo that. Uh, Kong Skull as well, 8.8. So that was the top five on that as well. So we have got incredible guests today. I'm very happy to have Cleta Ellington will be joining us and just to have – well, let's just bring her in right now. Speaking of movies, because you're um, – you know a little bit about movies, don't you? I do. I have not seen any of the top five yeah, I know, right I know. Now, though. Probably uh, won't go see Power Rangers. You mean you didn't run out and go <laughs> see Power Rangers? I'm, I'm shocked. Not yet. So which one – seriously, which one's your favorite Power Ranger? I couldn't even remember. I can't even. I think I remember I had a crush on the pink Power Ranger back in yeah, the day. Sure. So I think I'm even too old for that. I think we're. Oh, I think I am too. I mean, come to think of it, I could get thrown in jail for having a crush on the pink Power Ranger. So we'll just drop this conversation right now. Hey, welcome home. You're in town. Thank you. It's good. Happy Visit, to be here. Visiting the folks. Yes. So it's good. Y'all survived the rain last night. We did. I watched it on the front porch. Well, you had plenty to watch. I did. Yeah. It slept so, well. I know. It was, It was. other than the fact that the gutters were overflowing and I was worried my neighbor's house was going to wash away, it was actually quite relaxing. Well, you had a window to that and you uh, You have uh, a good sleep window that's true. unit <laughs> in the it's, rain. It's, it's perfect. It does work out pretty well. You know, I just had a tin roof. It would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay. Um, well, I was just telling you, I rented uh, The Girl on the Train recently. You were the first assistant director on that. Fantastic movie. Thank you. Yeah, and it was you were just telling me some of the logistic nightmares of trying to film around trains. Yes, it's uh, a little sketchy, but we pulled it off. Um, we worked, uh, it was in New York City, so we worked with the uh, folks up at the Grand Central Station and coordinated using a real train and waiting for trains to pass by, hopefully. You know, they'd give us minute estimates and we'd get all ready and start rolling and then nothing would happen. As soon as we look away, here comes a train, of course. And then we had a really incredible set yeah. that they uh, built on top of a gimbal. So you could shake it and move it, stop, doors open, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so some of the more, you know, di- longer dialogue scenes would happen on the set. But anytime you see Emily Blunt running in and out of the doors, that was the real train. Was it really? Yeah. So you could do like the green screen and make it look exactly. like on there. So that, yeah. that's a little bit more predictable than that. But I was just amazing. I, I'm going to rewatch the movie now. And understand the chaos behind it. Please do. That'd be good. Watch it many, many times. I have a question, Cleta. How much goes into making the set? Because when you're looking at it on the screen, everything looks pretty real, and you can't tell what's animated. You know what's what's uh, embellished. How much of it is real, and how much of it is embellished? Well, I mean, we have months to plan it. You know, mm-hmm. and they have. A, we had a great uh, production designer. Um, so they. They go study which train we're going to use because whatever set they build, we then need to go match. Well, we pick a real train first, of course, and then we go build the set according to that. So, you know, he goes and studies trains. But they actually brought in a train from a train graveyard in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, There's some sort of place where all the old broken trains go and it comes in in pieces and we put it all together and then recover the seats to match and match windows and all that sort of stuff. So... And then once we get the script, we break it down and figure out 
you know, which part we can do live and which part we need to control more mm -hmm. for safety reasons or weather or dialogue, yeah. you know, all the, all the various reasons. So it's about 50-50 on that one, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, the six-year-old and me just said, there's a train graveyard. I know, exactly. You know, like, I <laughs> when they came back out. with that news, we were like, what? What is that? That is so cool. So it's got to go. They sent some of our set dressers out to Cleveland to pick it out and shipped it to New York City. Very cool. We're going to continue this conversation with Cleta Ellington, talk a little bit of how she got interested in the film and some of the other projects she's worked on as well. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Great show today. Thank you for listening. We've got, of course, the very talented Cleta Ellington in the house. Actress, director, gosh, what else? You, Melissa, I'm trying to think of all the things you've done. You've done everything. Art department, casting department, in front, behind the scenes. How did you get inter interested in film? Was this something that when you were a kid you just said, I want to do this? Well, I didn't really know it existed then. I had some a couple of cousins out in L.A. that worked for uh, the studio and so they'd send us like jackets I remember one of them sent us like the breakfast club t-shirt and some pins and stuff from movies back then and then time passed and I was a, you know really into theater growing up and started as a theater major and kind of suddenly got stage fright and switched to English in college and um, taught at Murrah for a hot minute and decided I'd switch paths and uh, a couple of movies were here in town I started I interned you know worked for free and mm -hmm. then Worked for like a dollar on the next one. And that led me to uh, actually another Jackson local, Brenton Green, uh, had a movie going out in Austin, Texas, and invited me to come out and do the casting for that. And it really just took off from there. I just networked and started meeting people and jumped around in departments trying to figure out what part I liked and chose production at the end of the day. So if there's somebody listening right now and is thinking about getting in the movie, you would highly recommend them to just get on the set no matter what. Exactly. I mean, be anyone's assistant, work in any department because you can just watch and learn and figure out, you know, you might be in wardrobe for a couple of movies and decide, hey, I want to try the camera department and that sort of stuff. I mean, you eventually get into a union and it goes on from there. But in the beginning, you really just need to kind of, there's so many jobs available on a set that you really just have to watch and see everything right. from you know craft service to uh you know hair and makeup and all the good stuff so i know it's amazing how many moving moving pieces there are for a movie it really is it's very yeah. detailed uh business i know it, it takes very smart people to, to do what you do to be able to direct and I, I was just thinking about being a producer 
you know, got 7,000 pieces and you have to coordinate it like a ballet. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, lot of personalities. Definitely. Roll with the flow there. Well, how did your parents react when you said, I want to go into the movies? Because I know how mine reacted when I said, I want to become a cartoonist. They're like, yeah, we'll keep your room ready for you. <laughs> uh, they're very supportive. They're, uh... They got to be proud. Oh, yeah, I think they enjoy it. Um, yeah. You know, they've come to set a few times. I mean, set can be very boring yeah. at, at some points, and I try to invite them if we're somewhere near here or they're visiting me somewhere, bring them out on an exciting day and set them up to watch. But they had fun. They came to get on up set many times and watched uh, the concerts and stuff we did. So they enjoy it, I think. They're proud of us. Yeah, <laughs> and you get them the, you get them the, uh, the jackets and the T-shirts? Uh, Occasionally. Yeah, or my cousins. I usually get a whole pack of that and then give it all to the cousins. <laughs> yeah, that works out pretty well. Now, you, you actually have a place in Austin uh, near one of the sets for Friday Night Light. I do. I uh, started season one on Friday Night Lights, and I was in L.A. at the time and came back to Austin where I had been at one point just to work on season one and then ended up buying a house during season two. And I always say I bought my house in Dillon because I'm near Coach Taylor and I could walk to work and... Just had a great experience on that show. That show was so cool. It really is. It really it's, is. I mean, that's one of those that I'll sit there and binge watch just over and I've seen it 10 times. Oh, yeah. You get super fans on Friday yeah. Night Lights. And I've stayed connected with that crowd. I mean, I, I still work for a lot of those same people. And it's kind of funny run back into those actors on other shows, you know. So it's a... Uh, it's probably my my main thing on my resume that everyone you know checks out. I exactly. get jobs because I worked on Friday Night Lights. You know, you've done. Oh, go ahead, Sharita. Clint, I want to know how critical are you of your own work? So when you go back and watch things like Get On Up and Friday Night Lights, are you looking and you're thinking we could have done that differently, or uh, what do you think about that? Well, as a, as an AD, I'm not critical of it. I'm just you know glad we survived it and got <laughs> got <laughs> yeah. it done because. Uh, job's very stressful and kind of at the end of a show wears you out. You kind of need to go to the beach for a week to recoup. As an actress, I can't even watch it. I mean, I'm under the seat at the movie theater. I'm just dying out laughing. And I mean, I think I'm getting better at it. And I think it's fun to do. And on the day while we're doing it, I'm totally comfortable. And, you know, unlike I'm always in awe of like Broadway actors. I don't know how they do that every night. Because at least on a movie set, you get take two and take three and take Mm -hmm. four and take five, you know. But, um... So yeah, it's hard to watch the acting stuff, even though it's fun. But the production part, you're just you're just glad you you got it done. <laughs> what was it like when you were in Mississippi shooting? Because you were home. I mean, what, what was that like? It was a lot of fun. Um, it was fun to take the crew from out of town and you know take them to F. Jones or take them to eat and take them show them where to go. And um, you know, I think they really enjoyed it. We were mainly in Natchez for a few months, yeah. so that was a lot of fun. And then that we moved, is such a fun town. It was, and they totally embraced us, and we just kind of, you know, ran amok all over the place in Natchez. But um, then we got to Jackson to do some of the bigger concerts. We needed Dahlia Mara and the Coliseum mm-hmm. and places like that. So we were really only here for about a month, but um, ended with the rap party and... Mick Jagger was walking around town everywhere. See, that was so fun because everybody's like, I, I see somebody tweet out, I saw Mick Jagger jogging down Northside Drive over there. Exactly. You know. It was, uh, that was some good times. So I mean, that's people don't understand how important the movie industry is to Mississippi, though, because it gives us something to be proud about. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've definitely got to keep the tax incentive competitive. Yeah, and right, because we got to compete against Atlanta now, where I think that's become Hollywood of the... of the. Oh, right. I mean, New Orleans and Atlanta, they're, yeah. they're super busy, so Jackson's got to get in there. Cleta, is it is it hard working with the stars, or are they pretty pleasant? You talk about big stars like Mick Jagger. I know Chadwick Boseman was on Get On Up. Are the stars pretty uh, approachable and pleasant, or are some of them difficult? 
Oh, well, Rita. <laughs> I want to know. I want to get the dirt here. Yeah, yes. We want to know the dirt. Um, no, for the most part, everyone's super cool. And by the time you get to that stage, you've already, you know, known them through prep or any sort of rehearsals or dinner parties. So, you know, you loosen up by then. And for the most part, you know, they're totally, uh, totally great. You know, I think actors just like understandably so get nervous, you know, so a lot of that anxiety before they work comes out toward someone like me or my mm. department, you know, behind the scenes, just uh, anxious. But once it gets going, you know, I've always had good experiences. Shreda touched on this a little bit. What's it like when you're sitting there in the theater and you look up and you see yourself or you've rented a movie or something comes on television and you pop up? Well, that's that's all new for me just in the last few years. Like I said, I, I have heart attacks, but, I um, but I'm always happy to watch, you know, my friends who have become, you know, the, yeah. by the time it comes out, you've become friends with the cast members. So you're real proud of them. You know, like Octavia Spencer, I've known for years, and just when she won the Oscar, I'm just weeping. You yeah. know, so it's we're all real proud of each other. Yeah, support each other. How, how have your uh, relatives reacted? Because I'm sure that sometimes you're doing things that probably might be a little bit embarrassing. Uh, I know that's why I don't do radio shows. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a bunch of phone calls after this from cousins and aunts and uncles. No, it's all good. Everyone's real proud of it, especially when. You know, it involves Mississippi people. I mean, I'm close friends with Tate Taylor and Brenton yeah. Green, and so we've all supported each other, and our parents all know each other. So everyone's just rooting for us to succeed. Now, Cleta, you touched on something. You you said that when you got into this business, uh, you well, like when your parents were asking, well, what do you want to do for a living? You didn't know that this was possible. So how do you give that advice to kids who are coming up now and performing arts uh, programs? How do they know that something like what you do, being a producer and b- director for these major movies, is possible? How, how What's the path? Well, there's a few different ways. I mean, some folks, you know, go to film school, and um, but you don't. You certainly don't have to. Um, you know, you really need to intern or just try to get on as an assistant or kind of one of the low-level entry jobs and just fight your way up that ladder, you know, make the phone calls, work hard. It's it's a crazy business. I mean, the hours alone, if you can survive that, you're halfway there. So, I mean, it's, you know, 100-hour weeks. There's no... You know, so take jobs that don't always pay. That's fine when you're yeah. coming up. It is. I mean, you know, I lived with my parents after, I mean, I'd already you know, post-college, already had a couple of different jobs and came back to Jackson to work on a movie and stayed in the bedroom, you know. Mm. It's uh, like your fifth year of high school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you just kind of move up, and, I mean, you definitely struggle in the beginning. You know, watch that credit card debt. <laughs> um, but <laughs> well, you can't do anything about student loan debt. So yeah, you just have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, you know, but if you, you know, get a, especially if you make friends and go sleep on couches. If you got a job offer in New Mexico, take it. If you got a job offer, you know, somewhere just trying to make it work because eventually, you know, working hard and meeting people, it's going to come back around to you. You know, I think everybody knows what a director does because they know Steven Spielberg or Alfred Hitchcock. So for, what does a first assistant director do? Everything. Everything. So <laughs> you're the brains behind the, behind the whole operation, right? No, I mean, you are the assistant to the director. Yeah. That's the top number one job and then other than that I mean that's from beginning to end from the first day of prep you get the script you break it down you make the schedule you figure out the best way to you know make each day count we're kind of in charge of the clock more or less every day Uh, we're kind of the liaison between the director and all the other crew members Uh, we're in charge of safety you know, really? so we uh, make sure we're doing everything by the book and so you don't want to lose an actor that'd be bad exactly yeah. that's bad press <laughs> um, so you just kind of, you know, 
once you're in prep, you get it all organized. And then once you start shooting, you're just kind of, you know, air traffic controller. I mean, yeah. from the very beginning, good morning, we're in, we're in. Make sure the trains run on time, exactly. technically. And uh, try to get out of there, get everybody home back to their families as quickly and safely as possible. I know, it's so funny. Everybody thinks that a movie is shot from sequentially from the beginning to the end. But it's not. You're doing pieces here, pieces oh, there, yeah, whatever. It's, it's yeah. all out of order. What's the longest uh, amount of time that you spent on the set, like uh, making a movie? Um, a big movie like Girl on the Train is usually rough, roughly, and I think Get On Up too, in the fifty day range, sixty day range. But wow. yeah, that's broken up maybe over holidays. I mean, you might have a Christmas break or something yeah. like that. Um, and then normally you kind of the trick is you usually start around five a.m. on a Monday morning and work your way up. Uh, to, you know, you might not go to work until 6 p.m. on a Friday night, and then you're wrapping at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning. You have oh. one day to do laundry and chill out, and then you're back at it, you know. So that's the that's the real tough part of the business, especially for people who are doing physical labor. I mean, I'm just kind of standing around, mm-hmm. you know, talking. But, I mean, the guys who are doing grip and electric work and camera gear, carrying cases everywhere i mean they're worn out i bet you know i bet and stunt stunt guys and the actors i mean the actors don't have any more leisurely hours than the cat than the crew does you know i don't want you to reveal any secrets here because i understand you'd have to kill me if you told me but <laughs> what are you working on now or what what's what's up next for you well uh Tate Taylor's working real hard to try to get something back to Mississippi. That'd so be good. hopefully uh, within the year, we might be back here filming something. Something. Um, Sounds exciting. Other than that, I'm just, you know, I get phone calls. I got a phone call the other day. If I could come to Winnipeg, Canada today for four weeks, their first assistant director had, um, had gotten sick or something. So, you know, you kind of get random phone calls like that. But you um, chose us. Thank I, you. I did choose yeah. you, Rita. <laughs> specifically you. Oh. <laughs> now, Speaking of actors who are hard to work with. Oh, hey, right. <laughs> now, Cleta, the big question I want to ask, and this is coming from me as an entertainer and a, pe- uh, and a person who knows a lot of entertainers who are torn between whether or not they should stay here in Mississippi and pursue their dreams or if they should move. Because I've heard folks say, oh, just go to L.A. and try to make it. You know, what are your thoughts on that? C- can you make... You know, can you make it in the business still living in Mississippi or do you think you need to move? I mean, anything's possible, but even in this business, L.A. people have to travel somewhere else to work, too. So it's just kind of a traveling business. You know, you certainly can have a home here and keep your suitcases here. But I would say you're at least going to have to go to Atlanta and New Orleans or back and forth at this point in the game. You yeah, know? you can't sit here and wait for something to come right, to you. Right, I mean... You'll starve. Yeah. Don't buy a dog or don't don't get a plant. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I, I don't have either. <laughs> but you do have a boyfriend who takes I care do. of that. Yeah, that's I very good. That, that works out good pretty well. Good friends and a good boyfriend. That works out very well. Is it fun to be back home? It is. It's fun to be in Jackson. I haven't, haven't been here in a while for this amount of time, so it's interesting. It's um, The roads have gotten better, haven't they? Oh, perfect. They're just yeah. perfect. They're fantastic, aren't they? <laughs> So if you ever want to do like a post-apocalypse type movie, this is exactly. great. We can just film it right now on the road. I really appreciate appreciate you coming in, Glade. Well, thanks for inviting me. My tongue just got in the way. That happens sometimes <laughs> on a Monday, but I really appreciate it. It's so good to meet you, too. And nice I, to meet I can't you wait too. to like... I'm a big fan of both of y'all's. Oh, well, you can come <laughs> back you. anytime. Well, you can come back tomorrow, as a matter if of fact. If you're really a fan, cast me in a movie. That, I will, I yeah. will. That was subtle. Very <laughs> subtle, Sharita. I love that. All right. Well, very good. Well, coming up next, we're going to have Stephanie Brewer-Hawthorne on it. And it's, I tell you what, I don't know if you've ever dealt with postpartum depression and anxiety. She's going to talk about her experience with it. And I think it's going. this is going to be a segment that's going to help a lot of people. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, um, the day after the storm. I hope everybody's okay. I know it's still storming in some parts of the state. A lot of rain. Um, There were some tornadoes around, and there's been a couple tragic deaths. Mayor of Glendora, Mississippi, Johnny Thompson, my thoughts and prayers go out to him. His wife Shirley died. A tree fell on his house and killed her, and that was just horrible, tragic. Of course, Glendora's up in Tallahatchie County. He's up in the Delta. It's a little bit north of Money, Mm -hmm. Mississippi. And then in Florence, a... um, Apparently, the salt of the earth, really wonderful lady. I don't have her name, but I do know who she is. Uh, Floodwater swept her off the road, and she was on with 911 dispatchers and lost contact with them, and they found Mm -hmm. her body this morning. And just a little reminder in this little safety first kind of moment, but if you do see floodwaters, turn around. You know they say turn around, don't drown? Right. Um, When I was in San Diego, of course, San Diego gets like, an inch of rain and it ends up being catastrophic because they never rain there. There was a little area right in front of my office in the San Diego River that would flood. And every time it rained, I would watch somebody try to drive through it. Well, it looks it, misleading. It, it's misleading. Like, and know, it doesn't take but like two or three inches of rain to sweep your car away. Right, so right. water is very powerful. And, and so it's just very, very sage and wise advice. And particularly this morning because it was dark. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't see a lot of the floodwaters. I know some of the roads on the way I came in were flooded. So I had to go a different way this morning. And, and Greg was Greg Flynn this morning on Mississippi Edition was making a good point about it's not just tornadoes that can cause these tragedies. You know, folks think, oh, well, there's not a tornado in my area, so I'm out of the water. But you still have to be cautious of other things that can cause harm. Like that tree. I mean, there was nothing that she, she could have done about that. You know, but you just have to take all precautions. You all, do. You yeah. have to, you have to be very weather aware. And, of course, last night, my poor nine-year-old, who's very smart and very weather aware, he was sitting there soaking in everything the, the TV meteorologist said. Mm, <laughs> like scary. Getting him to sleep last night to a tranquilizer dart, pretty much. But once we got him, you know, calm, everything's cool, he just closed his eyes, and he yeah. never woke up through the rest of it. So that's pretty cool. Very happy to have in the studio Stephanie Brewer-Hawthorne. Knows a little bit about not getting sleep because of storms because you have been up since 2 o'clock in the morning That's thanks right. to your 4-year-old. That's exactly right. Both of my kiddos, they were they were pretty freaked out by the weather, too. Yeah. My baby slept through a good bit of it. but Yay. Yes, yeah. yay. She's she's great. I know. I always think yay NyQuil, but I know you would never do such a thing. So. <laughs> I've thought about it. Benadryl probably over NyQuil. But. Benadryl. Oh, I know. I know. That stuff's wonder. It is. It's That's good magic. For, good for long trips. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, I never even gave it to the kids. I just took it myself. That's right. So it worked out pretty well. I tell you what, um, you're on today, and we're going to talk a little bit about, of course, you have a great blog. Uh, you're a therapist mommy. I love that title. Thank you. So, But, I mean, there's a lot of people up listening right now that are going to completely understand what you're about to talk about. And postpartum depression and anxiety after having a kid is so real. And I think people, a lot of people don't understand it or they poo-poo it, mm-hmm. but it's a struggle. It is. It is definitely. I've learned that firsthand. I've heard about it. You know, even in my office as a as a counselor, but I've never, you know, never expected it even to hit me because with my first two kiddos, I didn't have it. So it hit you on the third one. It hit me on my third one. Why? Why is that? Why did it? You know, you get through the first two, and then the third one, it hit you like a sack of bricks. You know, I I think it's an interesting thing, postpartum depression and anxiety, because it's it has so much to do with a woman's hormones fluctuating. Yeah. You know, postpartum, and it also I think has a lot to do with just situational and environmental factors and stressors yeah. as well. So 
I don't know exactly why it chose the third pregnancy, um, you know, the third baby, but it is definitely real and it has definitely been a dark and hard season for me and for my family. I was gonna I was gonna ask you this because I know with regular depression, a lot of times you just don't even know you're depressed. Mm-hmm. You don't understand that it's happening to you till one day somebody comes up and says, um, are you okay? Yeah. How did you know? Um, you know, I, I, probably five weeks postpartum, um, I started noticing this isn't passing. This is these feelings are sticking around. I felt I felt a lot of um you know, despair and felt very overwhelmed and felt very anxious and sad. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, after a baby, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you've got to be so happy. This is your third baby. And I just kept noticing that I was just not feeling happy. Um, we were also in a busy season of life. My husband's a full-time student at RTS. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working full-time as a counselor and, we have a 10-year-old and we have a 4-year-old and, you know. Oh, yeah, you're have, drinking from a fire hose. Exactly. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so it just, it, I started just really five weeks out questioning and started asking questions of the people around me, other ladies and moms, and then yeah. even my OBGYN. So, and, you know, most of them said, I think this is yeah. more than just the baby blues. Do you get a sense that, and, and I'm not going to speak for my wife here, but I will say that she's had this 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 issue where you just have a moment. We have three kids also, where you just have a moment where you feel like that all you're doing is everything for someone else. Yeah, that's been a huge. That was that was a really big part of it. I started losing a sense of self. Yes, and really feeling as if I'm giving all of me, which I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, I'm working time I'm giving to the kids I have this new little baby who is wonderful and magnificent but she needs me 24 hours mm-hmm. yeah, yeah all day and then even in my profession as a counselor you know I'm sitting That's with true. people I'm helping people I'm loving on people um, and so people people were needing me and are needing me you know pretty regularly throughout the day and so I think that I didn't know what to do with that yeah. as well. On a, you know, in a regular state of mind, I think I can kind of process through that and, and increase my self-care. But through this, <clears throat> excuse me, it was really hard. Well, that's um, a, that's how you touch on the self-care. And I mean, I, we'll talk about the treatment a little bit, but how do you get around to saying, okay, I need to take a little bit of time to make myself. It's like putting the oxygen mask on your face before yes. while the plane's going down to make sure that, you know, before you can get yeah. help too. I mean, how do you take the time to do that? That's a great analogy. I've never thought about the oxygen mask. That's really good. Um, because if I'm not okay, then, you know, right. everybody else, I can't help anybody else. Right. Um, I really started, like I said, asking questions. I started asking questions even on Facebook. I know Facebook and social media can get a bad rap, but... I, I, it's a community. It is. And I, I've started feeling, you know, I need to connect with somebody who knows what I'm going through because I felt so isolated and so alone. Yeah. Um, and so I started asking questions on Facebook. I started reaching out to other women who I knew were newer moms or were moms in general. Yeah. You know, I talked with my own mom. Um, Has she ever experienced it? She, looking back, it's kind of funny because it's been neat talking with her about it because, um, you know, talking and and expressing and exploring these things with her, she has looked back and said, you know what? I think that I may have experienced that. Yeah. I just didn't really know what I was experiencing at the time. I just thought it was kind of normal. Um, but she she didn't realize that until this, you right. know, and us talking about it together. You know, you, you, you and I were talking a little bit before we got on the air, and, of course, your baby slept. 
So I was That's like, right. none of mine ever did. And I mean, literally for a year, they'd get up every two hours and we didn't get any REM sleep. Yeah. And I could see the toll that took on my wife. Yes. That took it on me too, obviously. But right. I mean, you know, because once again, she was doing most of the, the caregiving that I couldn't do. Right. Um, that really plays a big part of it too, doesn't it? Yeah. Just exhaustion. Absolutely. Just being exhausted, you know, and uh, I look back now and I, I wasn't caring for self. You know, I didn't yeah. plug in to a counselor immediately. Um, How I, hard is that for you, a therapist, to go see a therapist? You know, it, it can be it can be interesting um, because so badly I think that I can help myself yeah. because I know these things and I have this head knowledge and, you know, I've got this degree in counseling and I know what to do to help myself. Um, but I couldn't. You know, I would look at my husband and say, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Um, and so it it can be challenging because you do have the head knowledge, but mm-hmm. when you are in the fog of it, you you can't necessarily help yourself. That's a but great that, way of putting it, the fog of it. That is extremely powerful to, you know, get to a point where you can be vulnerable enough to admit that I need help and then make yourself open enough to get it. So what was your mindset going in when you were going to get counseling? Because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if part of you was like, well, if I were you, I would be using this technique. Um, so what was your mindset? Like, how did you relax and clear your mind enough to receive the counseling? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, on first, just a little bit of backstory, just starting to talk about it. I think really um, putting it out, blogging about it, telling people, not hiding it, being mm-hmm. super open about it, which was scary at first because I was actually scared of, honestly, people judging me because I am a counselor mm-hmm. and I can't fight this or get past this on my yeah. own. Um, so that was really hard. And, you know, I, I had really just prayed and asked the Lord last summer to help me increase my vulnerability, help me to be real, help me to have community. And he has really used this mm. um, to provide that for me. I get a little teary even talking about it, um, even in this darkness, this dark season. Um, but going into counseling, I um, it, it is funny because I'm thinking, OK, if I were if I were in that chair, this is probably what I would say to myself, you know. Yeah, right. Um, so it was entertaining in that way. But, you know, my counselor has just been so gracious and so kind and has just been just sitting with me in it and just really being an ear, which is just mainly what I've needed is just an ear, somebody yeah. to listen. And, and, and that's a good point you bring up, too, because uh, when I have a friend who's going through something and I have not experienced it, I often lack the words to say. And I'm calling my mom. I'm like, Mom, yeah. what should I say? You know, and she's like, just listen. Yes. You know, just listen. And that's hard because as a human, you see someone else struggling and you want to help fix it. Well, maybe I could say this and, and this will help them. Yeah. But sometimes you just need to listen. So the importance of listening is you know, underestimated sometimes. Yes. I've got a friend who lost his son to suicide. I have mm. no no idea what to say to mm-hmm. him, but I'm just there. You that's know, it. just that's all you can do. You, you, of course, you said it's very hard to make yourself so pub- publicly vulnerable. But don't you find it when you're helping, when you're being open like that, it's therapeutic in its own way. Oh isn't my it? goodness, I can't tell you. I can't. I don't have enough words. I could sit here for hours. Yeah. And just you know, explain how beautifully. This has connected me with so many people, Um, so many people that have reached out to me by text or by Facebook or so-and-so gave me your number and you're dealing with this and I'm in it. I just had a baby. Um, Other family members who have said I've dealt with it, Um, you know, even clients just showing up in my office. You know, I've never really had a lot of clients who present with postpartum depression and anxiety, but now 
it's there's been this sweetness to folks showing up and saying, this is what I'm dealing with. And I can look them in the eye and say, I get it. Yeah, I'm with you. We're going to continue our conversation with Stephanie Brewer Hawthorne talking a little bit about postpartum depression and anxiety and ways that, you know, you could possibly get past it, too. We've been talking about that, too. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Um, Drying out across the state. If you're still getting rain, uh, hopefully it'll be over soon. A lot of flooding around the state. Our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people that are affected. As like I said earlier, I know some of the folks here at MPB have been affected as well. And if you are, I hope things are okay. And I know it's very tough to recover from a flood. So um, our hearts and prayers go out to you. Got Stephanie Brewer Hawthorne is in the studio. She's a therapist mommy, and I love that. She's a therapist, but she's also a mom of three amazing kids. Got a six-month-old. Six-month-old. Miss Magnolia. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Um, didn't sleep last night at all. Little sleep in you our just, house last you night. You took a power nap during the That's break, right. so you're good. <laughs> you're good. You got hit by a train on your third kid. Yes. Which, you know, it's kind of surprising because it didn't happen the first two. Right. Um and you, you came down with postpartum depression and some anxiety, and you didn't realize it really until one day you realized mm-hmm. it. You were able to get some help, and I really do applaud the fact that you're being so public and so vocal about it. Thanks. Somebody's listening right now, I'm sure, that's probably nodding their head going, you know what, I'm just absolutely crushed by this. How do they get past it? Well, I would say um, just kind of along the same lines as what we've been saying and, and what I've said just in the past few minutes is, start talking about it. Yeah. Um, I've heard so many women say, you know, I, I'm isolating. I'm scared. I don't want to be honest because I'm fearful of the responses that I might get. I don't want to be honest with my husband or my significant other. Um, Why is that? Why would they not want to do that? I don't know. I think anxiety has a way of silencing us and depression can have a way of silencing us. And sometimes it's scary and we don't have the energy maybe. And yeah. we're so fearful of not being accepted in just yeah. the reality that we're in, you know, the exp- our experience. That we're not perfect? Yeah, exactly. Imagine that. Yes. Go figure. No doubt. Um, but I would say talking about it, you know, getting plugged into counseling, I'm obviously a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I would hope so. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, local support groups, I mean, you can get connected. You can do some research online and find some local support groups. Um, Facebook has some groups, some just mm-hmm. some national groups that, you know, I've plugged into that, have been a source of encouragement on my bad days. Um, Isn't that amazing when you think it's, it's, I always said when I had melanoma, I said, I thought I was on the only person in the world. Then when you find it's like buying a car and then suddenly you see everybody else has got that car and you didn't realize it, Yeah. but it's very empowering. It is so empowering. It's so encouraging and it's so, it's so wonderful to feel like you're not alone. Um, You know, it just, it, that has been my way to combat the loneliness. Um, and there's a couple of online resources, postpartumprogress.org. And then there's another website, Postpartum Support International, 
that's that's a good resource just for articles and research and just basic information. I think this is a good time for a good question here. What helps when you're depressed? Of course, you can call us at 877-672-7464 or 877-MPB-RING. For me, and I've not had postpartum depression, I will say that right now, but, I've, you know, I've had the blues and I understand how that works. For me, exercise helps, diet helps. Of course, medication is a very good mm-hmm. good way to get past it for some folks. Yes. Um and therapy, like you said, yeah. being just having people to talk to. Absolutely. Having an ear. Yes. I think it's so important. Well, Stephanie, let me ask you this because I follow your Facebook page. And um, uh, a few days ago, your your Facebook status says, how many days since I washed my hair? I'll give you a hint. I have a tiny dreadlock forming in the back somewhere. <laughs> and I never brush my hair. Hashtag real life. Currently praising Jesus that I feel joy. Today has been a gift. And if tomorrow isn't, he is still good and kind. Yes. That was a powerful post to me uh, because I want you to touch on number one celebrating the small victories Amen. you know you paste you, you posted this picture of your hair and i didn't see the dreadlock but your hair was cute um <laughs> but could you talk about that the, the small victories if if today if something you feel better just even a little bit today how you can celebrate that victory which for the record yeah. she did wash her hair before she came I in did. today yeah, it smells great. This it fantastic. <laughs> my dreadlock's still there but um yeah that's such a good question um what i have found with this postpartum roller coaster is that, you know, it can change from day to day. Sometimes there's not consistency. You may have a good week and you may wake up one day and you may feel really low or you may feel really anxious. And and at the beginning of all of this, that just exacerbated my fears and my loneliness and my um, just the questions of, am I ever going to get better? Mm. Um, and so I started realizing that I had to set my mind on the day-to-day, the minute-to-minute, the moment-to-moment, and to be very present in that um, and to celebrate if I have an hour that I feel good, yeah. if I have five minutes where I can feel joy, um, and, and to see that as a gift from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that has just been me being present as much as I can be just in the minute-to-minute, day-to-day life. Now. I, I saw a, a story, I didn't read it, but it said this was an area that wasn't talked about and this was men who kind of experienced postpartum depression as well, you know, because uh, it's an adjustment for them as well after having a, a child. How has your husband been through all of this? Has he been strong? Has he felt some of these moments with you? Oh, yeah. I could, again, could cry. Um, <laughs> Scott has been probably um, the uh, outside of just the Lord and his grace and his mercy is, has been my biggest resource um, from helping me get out of the bed when I just didn't feel like I could to, mm-hmm. um, you know, sorry, it's helping okay. me, you know, just get up and get going and remind me that the, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Speaking that, of that light at the end of the tunnel, how does it normally last? You know, I've heard I've heard so many doctors say, and I've actually, of course, researched the heck out of that because I'm like, when is this going to get over? When exactly. is this going to end? Um, so many doctors will tell you that it's, you know, it can vary, but typically, um, not, or maybe not even typically, but oftentimes you'll see that a mom around nine months okay. postpartum will start to kind of Isn't see that the interesting? fog lift. Nine months. Yep. Huh. But I've had people tell me it was three months or it was 15 months or it was 12 months or it was nine months or it was six months. Um, so it, it's such a hard bird because it can vary Yeah. so much from person to person. Are you keeping a journal as well as doing the Facebook I'm, I'm blogging and doing that. And then recently I decided to put a journaling app on my phone. And yeah. so for about the past week and a half, 
I have been just kind of jotting down my feelings, or, you know, morning, lunch, and, and night, um, and just even some symptoms if I feel a certain way, just to kind of keep track. So someday when you get a phone call from your daughter? Yes. You can say, you know what? I know exactly how you feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'm telling you that the being transparent on social media is awesome because so many times people have this facade is what, what I call it on social media. Everything is great. My you marriage is great. Fake book, as my wife calls <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, fake book. Everything. My children are awesome. They don't make bad grades ever. Yes. We don't have any challenges. That's sometimes the, the, the representation that you get from Facebook. But to see somebody posting about real things that they are experiencing, it really is refreshing because we are human. Yes. <laughs> everything yes. is not that's perfect. Right. You know, that's what I'm telling you. Don't, don't believe everything you see on people's times, timelines because it's not all true. That's right. Yeah, the only place is perfect is this radio show. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. Look, I appreciate you coming in. How can folks find you on Facebook? Um, I am, I mean, you know, Stephanie Brewer Hathorn, um, no W, no E on the end. Okay. And I'm also over at the Shepherd Staff. I'm a counselor there, so they're always welcome to contact me there if they're interested. And you've helped a lot of people today. Thank you. you probably helped yourself a little bit, too. Absolutely. It's always a help just to get it out and talk about it. So do you have to go back to work now? I am. In about an hour, I'm going to sit with clients. What oh, I love to do. Why don't you make it an hour and a half and go home and take a nap? <laughs> Probably should. I'll take a nap in the car. You definitely deserve it. Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Appreciate y'all. it. I want to thank Cleta Ellington as well. And, of course, I want to thank Sharita for producing the show as awesomely as she usually does. Coming up next is Southern Remedy. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio, a production of, of course, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. i tell you what, if you're affected by the storm, my thoughts are with you. Hope everything dries out. Until next week, y'all have a great week. Thank you.